Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. All right, well, good morning. Hey, I heard there is a uh, soccer game going on this morning. Uh, I think that everyone that cares about that game probably skipped church. So uh, if you're not into the World Cup, let me just tell you that the United States is up on Canada 6-0, okay? And that's all you need to know about that game, all right? Because uh, I'm assuming you're, you're really not that into soccer. You're just like that person that pretends they care about the Olympics every four years too, all right? So but at this point, it's over. We'll just pretend it's over. Someone's going to win today. You can watch it when you get home or not care at all. And it'll, it'll be the same, all right? So uh, anyway, we're in our series, uh, Movement at the Movies. Uh, we've been doing that uh, these last couple summers. Last couple weeks, we've been going through some movies, uh, kind of some, some more classic movies, uh, movies that maybe uh, you haven't seen, maybe ones that you've been told that you should see, ones that are, are 20 years old and some ones that are fun. And so we've been uh, queuing these movies up, uh, just kind of paralleling uh, where, where film and truth collide. And we're not finding truth in these movies. We're not saying that your theology should come from Lord of the Rings or Jurassic Park or any movie like that. We're just saying that all truth is God's truth. And we think that you can see that through the stories of people and even the stories that are highlighted in modern day movies. And so we've been doing that these last couple weeks. And so I will stop talking now. I'll stop making bad World Cup jokes. We'll just go ahead and cue up this video. Without further ado, here is this week's selection. I know what you're thinking. Man, movie trailers have gotten a lot better, right? I I watched that this week and I think of that movie and I think of it as a classic. And I'm like, it's a great movie. I watched that and I'm like, that looks like I made it in like Microsoft Paint or something, right? It's just... This is not that thrilling, and yet that's where cultures come. We were having a a conversation back at the tech table this morning. They were like, movie trailers really weren't good until 2010, and then I realized just how spoiled I am, apparently, right? But we know that that's still a good movie. We just, we know that editing and kind of storytelling has gotten a little different, but the year uh, in that was was 1936, and an archaeology professor named Indiana Jones uh, is running through the jungles and looking for these things, and he finds out that uh, there is a, a golden statue. It sets off this trap, and he starts on this crazy journey that, that we see unfold in that movie. And eventually he's chasing uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which holds the key to human existence. And, and so we see him running all over the world, chasing that artifact and, and battling Nazis and just some really epic stuff, right? We, we, we see that unfolding in this, this story. And it seems no matter uh, what he tries to do, there's always opposition. It, it seems that he's trying to do the right thing. And there's always someone there to, uh, to, to foil his plan, right? Most good American movies have Nazis ruining the plan in some way, and that's the case in this one too, right? And so we see that uh, uh, acted out here in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's, it's fascinating because it's not just uh, in that movie, but I think if, if you've lived life for a while now, you know that, that just as you're going about life, as you're doing your thing, whether you're trying to do what's right or kind of just exist, there's, there's usually there, there's something that, that feels like it's not right, and often there's, there's something that's, that's not going right, right? Some Sometimes you even, you feel attacked or you feel like, like you just can't catch a break. A couple of years ago, our family felt that way. I think I've, I've shared this before, but we decided to buy our dream house and fix up this home. And so we, we bought the house and we moved out there and, uh, uh, we were, I was officiating a, a wedding in my hometown, and we, between the wedding and the rehearsal, we took the kids to get Frosties, which seems like a great all-American thing, right? And we were parked right by this little church, and, and uh, my wife's purse was in the car, and someone came and broke the window out and stole her purse and stole our credit cards, which is not a great thing, but usually you just call the bank, and it's not a huge deal. You get another one. Well, we had just moved into our new house like four days before, and so when I called the bank and I said, hey, we need to cancel those cards and get new cards, they're like, well, the good news is we can cancel those 
those cards. They said, the bad news is you can't ask for new cards until you've lived at your house for 10 to 14 days, and then we'll have to automate the shipping, so you'll probably have your new cards in about three weeks. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Thanks a lot, guys, right? So we've got our car broken into. I had to drive back from Worcester, Ohio with a grocery bag taped over my car, right? And uh, my, my sons were with me, and somewhere halfway back, the tape came off, and the bag just started flapping at like 10 p.m., and they woke up out of a sleep and thought the world was ending, right? So I've got that going, right? I've got a broken van. I've got tired, miserable kids. I, I, I don't have a credit card, and now I'm flipping a whole house and need money and can't get that, and I'm losing out on all the cash back benefits that us Americans love, right? And so sometimes when things go bad, it feels like they go really bad. And when things are going wrong, it seems like they're going really wrong. And when it rains, it pours. And when we're trying to do the right thing or trying to just exist, we feel attacked and we feel like we can't catch a break. And and so we want to look at that concept this morning. We want to parallel that alongside this movie. And so I want to ask you to uh, pull out a, a Bible or go with us this morning to scripture if you've got one. We're going to be in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's probably one under your seat In front of you, behind you, you'll see one there. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, uh, I want you to know that that is our gift to you this morning. If I could give you a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark or the Bible, I would pick the Bible every time with all due respect to that wonderful movie we just saw a clip from, right? We believe and know and trust that scripture is God's instructions for us, God's word to us and God's plan for us. And so we love to study that and see what it has. And so if you want that Bible today that's with you, you can have that. But we're gonna be on page 824, John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25, talking about uh, this concept of of what to do when we feel attacked, when we feel like we're not getting what we deserve, when we feel like life is going wrong. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25, it says this. You can read along. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But if you are no longer part of the world, I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty." But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. These are the words of Jesus as he is talking to his disciples. The words of Jesus as he's talking to what we would, in a modern day setting, call Christians or Christ followers, people who have dedicated their lives to him, who understand who he is and why he came to this world and what that means. And so he's talking to this audience and he's doing that in the the same context, the same chapter where he tells his people, I am the vine and you are the branches. Right? He's saying that as I am the Father, as I am connected to God the Father, you are connected to me, and I will feed you, and I will grow you. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And that's a really warm, awesome thing to say, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. And we just think, yeah. And then right in this passage, we're kind of told, I'm the vine, you are the branches, but guess what? Things won't always be perfect. I'm the vine, you are the branches, but guess what? There are going to be, at least humanly speaking, earthly speaking, some downsides to following me and trusting me and looking to me. Things aren't always going to be maybe what you hope or what you expect. And so 
verse 18. Again, I want to read that to you. It says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Jesus really knows how to start off a passage, right? Real, real pick-me-up there. He's saying to his people, he says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And I think that we could read that and say, it's not if. Not if the world hates you, because it sure did hate Jesus. The world seemed to kind of buck against the, the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus. And he says, if the world hates you, it will, it will be because it hated me first. And we see that and know that. And so it's not if, but when. Because if you are a Christ follower, if you are someone who says, I know that my life is incomplete, I know that my life is not enough, I know that I fall short and I need Jesus. And because he came to this world, lived a perfect life and sacrificed his life to pay the price for my sins because I put my trust and my hope and my love in him because I have a relationship with him, I want to follow him and do what he wants for my life. If you're someone who has made that commitment, who understands what it means to be a disciple, who understands what it means to follow him, then you can just assume that this, this passage doesn't start off super positive, at least from this perspective. Because in this world, in this life, as we make decisions to do what Jesus wants from us, what Jesus wants for us, as we make decisions to live on mission in a way that honors him and builds his church, there's going to be moments that we just think, man, I feel like everything's going wrong. I feel like there's so much pressure on me. I feel like I can't catch a break. I feel like the cards are stacked against me. I feel like no one is rooting for me. I feel like I'm being attacked. And Jesus is standing next to us, putting his arm around us and saying, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna feel like that. But there's some solidarity there because he's saying they hate you because they hated me first, which means we're one and the same. We're connected, we're together, we're on the same team and the same page. Verse 19 says this, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Last week, we spoke on this concept that we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. That we had a name, we had an identity, we had a path, we had a history. And when we call on the name of Jesus, God lifts us up out of that and he says, you are mine, you are chosen, I've changed your name, I've changed your identity, I've changed who you are, I've changed your trajectory, I've changed where you're going, I've changed who you are and who you will be, you are mine. And this verse is reminding us of that and saying that, yeah, we used to belong to the world. We used to be defined by the world. We used to be trapped in the sin of the world. That's all that we knew. And that's who we were. And now things are different because we've been called out of that. Scripture tells us, and we're reminded that as Christ followers, that we're, we're aliens in this world. Some of you are like, I don't want to be an alien. Aliens are weird, right? But we know that, that we're not meant for this world. We know that, that we're meant to spend eternity with Jesus. We know that we're called on a more eternal timeline, that we're going to spend eternity in heaven with our Father. And so this world that we're in, this world that we're on is just a, a small resting place. It's a, it's, a, it's a blip on the map. It's a dot on the radar. It's it's a small time. And so if we're called out of this world, if we're chosen out of this world, if we're adopted sons and daughters, if we're aliens and we're foreigners, 
we like to admit those things. And sometimes we have to admit the other side of that, that we're not going to feel at home in this world. We're not going to feel like we belong in this world. We're not going to feel like everything is perfect and everything is is just right for us. Because as we're making decisions, thinking of Jesus, as we're putting him first, as we're making him a priority, it's going to feel like we're compromising in other areas. We're, We're sacrificing our comfort. We're sacrificing the things that we know and love. And this verse reminds us that there are people in this world and most of the people of this world who live for themselves. They're not living for someone else. They're not living to serve others. They're not living for a greater purpose. They're not living for anything except they want to make themselves happy and, and get as much as they can. And they, they want to just, they want to build their own empire. And so if you've said, I want to build the empire of, of Jesus. I want to build his church. I want to live for him. I want to serve others. I want to be selfless. I want to sacrifice my life and give my life for others and to him the same way that he sacrificed and gave his life to me, then you've got to expect that this world is not going to feel like home. Verse 20, Jesus reminds us, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. This verse uses the, the language of slave and master, and you could just as easily use it as, as, as mentor and mentoree, right? If we're going to be people who would say that we, we are patterning our lives after Jesus, we're looking to Jesus, we're getting our example from Jesus, we're walking after Jesus, we're talking like Jesus, we're parenting like Jesus, we're living in our marriages like Jesus, our careers look like Jesus, and we can, we can say that he is our master. And we can say that we're taking our cues from him. And, and we can say that we're, we're following him. And if he's our mentor, if he's our example, if he's our master, he's where we get our definition and the picture of what we should look like. Well, if that's the case, then we can expect to be treated just like our master. When I was in high school, there were a couple teachers who had been at my high school so long that on my first day, they said, Art trip, is your dad Ron? And I said, do you want him to be, right? Because I, I didn't know what to say. There was a, there was a gym teacher who straight out of college had, had started the year that they opened our high school. They merged these three tiny small towns together. And, and, and this woman had been there. I think she ended up teaching like 50 something years, right? And so I was kind of afraid of her and she had a lower voice than I did. And, and I just it didn't, I don't know, it wasn't, wasn't the right vibe, right? And she said, she said, our trip, is they were on our trip, son? And I said, yes. And she said, he used to get a lot of trouble in my class. And I bet you will too. And I thought, this is not going to go well, right? Here's a little story. When my dad was in high school, they used to sell uh, chocolate milk for one penny. And uh, there was a moment in time where even though inflation had kind of picked up, that was still very cheap. It wasn't what a penny would be now, but it was still very cheap. And my dad was like, as described to me, kind of like a modern day Dennis the Menace, right? He was just a kid that got in a lot of trouble. And so one day he went to this big guy on the football team and he said, hey, uh, that guy said that he could drink more chocolate milk than you. And he's like, really? That guy? No, no way. I'm tough. I'm on the football team. And, And my dad's like, you should prove that you can drink more chocolate milk than him. And then he went over to the other guy and he's like, hey, that guy said he could drink more chocolate milk than you and said he's, said he's tougher than you. And he said, 
but I'm gonna help you guys settle this. I'm gonna pay for the chocolate milk and you guys can just have a contest right here at lunch and you can, you can drink the chocolate milk and we'll know who's the toughest guy, right? And so my dad does this and, and they both drink like, I don't know, a ridiculous amount of these, like 30 a piece and it only costs him a couple bucks, you know? And he, he's, I know the math doesn't check out there. So there's just terms, okay, right? Um, you're like 30 and 30 is 60, Mark. Okay, anyway, so my dad gets these not so intelligent, stereotypical football players to drink way too much chocolate milk and then lo and behold, they have gym class after lunch, right? And lo and behold, it's the day that they're going to run the timed one mile, which is a staple of high school in the 60s, right? And so long story short, these guys proceed to lose most of the chocolate milk that they had just drank all over the gym floor because they're running laps in the gym. And as you can imagine, it was mostly liquid. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm sorry. But that really spreads out when it's let go on a floor, right? And so that is the legacy that, that Miss Sirius, the gym teacher, knew of my family, right? That's, that's who I was. She's like, oh, great. That's, that's what this guy's about to do and what he's going to do in my class. I know his dad. I know him. And so I was being treated a certain way, unfairly, might I add. I was a stand-up gym class student, right? Not so much. Okay. But uh, she, was, she was already projecting my, my dad's legacy on me. And, and so we can't be surprised if we're going to say, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the Most High. I'm looking to Jesus for my cues. I'm patterning my life after Jesus. I'm his adopted son and daughter. We can't be completely caught off guard and shocked if people want to treat us like his son or daughter, right? Because he's saying the world hated me and people persecuted me and and ultimately the world crucified him. And so we can't be completely shocked when the world doesn't say, you're a Christian? That's wonderful. There's going to be moments where they say, I don't don't like Christians. And I don't like your Christ. I don't like how you get all your rules out of scripture. And I don't like how you tell everyone what to do. And I I don't like Jesus. Verse 21 says this, they will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus is saying, they're not just rejecting me, they're rejecting my father, God the father who sent me on this mission, who sent me to sacrifice my life for you so that you could live. They're rejecting me and they're also rejecting him. And he's saying, they're not just rejecting me. They're rejecting what this means for their lives. Because before Jesus came and simply explained the gospel and simply explained that without God, we are lost. We are lost in our own sin. And our own sin dominates our lives. And because of the sin in our lives, we're on a trajectory headed toward death, headed toward separation from God. That's who we are. The wages and the price of sin is death. And because of sin in our lives, we don't deserve to be in relationship with God or in the presence with God. And Jesus came and made that very clear to everyone because of the miracles he did, because of the way he taught, because of the relationships he had, because of what his life stood for and what his life meant. He spelled that out very clearly in the gospel. He didn't say there's not a way, but he said, I am the way. You're not enough, but I am enough to build a bridge and, and, and be the relationship that you need to know God the Father and to rest in him, and to be found in him, and to have relationship with him for eternity. And people, people don't like that, right? You just walk up to people and say, hey, you're not enough. 
Hey, you're imperfect. Hey, your life is headed toward nowhere. It's the truth. I think most of us have seen that and felt that and experienced that in some time in, in life. We, we know that left to ourselves, we're flawed creatures. Left to ourselves, we choose sin every time. Left, left to ourselves, we're, we're arrogant and confused and lost and angry and empty. But the world doesn't like hearing that. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive because at the core of the gospel, the gospel is telling us you're not enough. At the core of the gospel, the gospel is elevating Jesus and saying, this guy is enough and you have a need for him. You need to live for him. He came and gave his life, not because you deserved it, not because you were great, but he came and gave his life for you out of love and grace. And he is enough to pay the price of your sin, to pay the sacrifice of your sin with his life. He is enough and that's offensive. And so when people get mad at Jesus, it's not just that they're mad at Jesus, they're mad at what his teaching stood for. They're mad at the things that they've learned. They're mad at the fact that they're being confronted with their own limits with their own inadequacy. Imagine if you went to sporting events and every time someone missed a shot in basketball, you just said, you're never going to make that shot. You're never going to be good enough. You're going to miss every shot you take. Right? Guy strikes out in baseball. Won't be the last time you strike out. Your career batting average will be zero. Right? We don't like being told that there are limits to what we can do. And yet there are. We cannot atone for our own sins, for our own inadequacy. We have a need for Jesus. We have a need for relationship with him so that we can know God the Father, so that we can be in his presence and so that we can have relationship. And yet Jesus is saying they're rejecting me. They're rejecting the one who sent me. They have no excuse. He goes on to say in verse 23, anyone who hates me also hates my father. Little sidebar, little bonus. This is one of the examples in scripture where Jesus is equating himself to God the Father. And this is a very complex issue, but something that I think is worth talking about because Jesus is saying, if they hate me, they hate my Father. I and my Father are one and the same. He, he builds that case in many different passages in scripture. And, and that's important because there are people that will say, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't know who this Jesus guy is. He was just a prophet or he was just a man. He was just a guy that did miracles. And Jesus say, is saying, I'm the one who was sent by God the Father. I'm the one who is God the Father. And we have this, this complex trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And that's difficult for us to understand, but so worth knowing that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus came and gave his life and Jesus paid the price for our sins and when people hate Jesus, when they reject Jesus, when they turn their back on Jesus, they're turning their back on God the Father. Verse 24 says this, if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they've seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my Father. The world rejects the gospel of Jesus. The world rejects the truth of Jesus. And if you're living to reflect the gospel of Jesus and the truth of Jesus, there will be moments and there will be many moments. And it's not if, it's when you will feel like the world rejects you and persecutes you 
and isn't looking out for your best interests and just wants to come after you and just wants to ruin your career and attack your family and attack your good name. And if, if I can be honest, I think this passage says, yeah, that's, that's kind, of, it's kind of true. So here's a big idea that's kind of, kind of a, a letdown to Mark when I think about it just alone. It's this, when you fight for something that is right, expect things to go wrong. That's what our hero, Indiana Jones, taught us, right? If you're going to try to do what's right, if you're going to try to save the world, you can expect to feel attacked. You can expect to feel like, like something's going to go wrong and that, that things aren't going to be how you want it to go. But here's what I want you to know, that you can expect to be treated poorly by people who don't follow Jesus, but you can also know that you're in good company because Jesus was treated the same way. Here's something else that I, I want you to know. Your real ministry and your real evangelism begins when things go wrong. Your real ministry and your real evangelism begins when things go wrong. Because the world is watching. The world is looking at you as a Christ follower. You've said, yeah, my life is built on the rock of Jesus and my life is devoted to Jesus. I'm committed to live for him. And as things go wrong, people are going to say, all right, let's see where your Jesus gets you now. It's not a coincidence that when we place our lives in Jesus, we're told that we're, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit. And people who are living their life for God, who are, who are living their life led by the Holy Spirit, we're told that we will have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so as you feel attacked, as you feel compromised, as you feel persecuted, that is your opportunity for real evangelism to take place, for people to see that you're living for Jesus and for you to talk about him and to live that out. That's a chance for you to live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the spirit. And yet sometimes we live out counterfeit fruit, right? Sometimes instead of love, we, we live out lust because we've been compromised and we've been hurt and we're gonna show that person. Sometimes instead of living out joy, we live out circumstantial happiness that was built on something that was taken from us. And so we're mad and we're gonna show them. Sometimes instead of living out peace, we, we live out worry and anxiety. And that's pretty fun too, Right? Sometimes instead of living out patience, we just display anger and we go after instant gratification ourselves. Sometimes instead of displaying kindness, we show an inability to rejoice in anything and we show that we're really about revenge when the world comes after us. Sometimes instead of showing goodness, we show hypocrisy and we show that we're phony and we're insincere. Sometimes instead of being faithful, we also doubt God and if he's going to be absent for us, we're going to be absent for others. We're not going to show them that there's something different about us. And sometimes instead of being gentle, we don't have time for that. Because that means focusing on someone else. And we've got to focus on us because we're hurt. And the world's out for us. And we've got to look out for number one. And so we're, we're self-absorbed and we promote ourselves and we look out for ourselves and we do whatever we have to do to protect our own interests. And sometimes instead of being self-controlled, we just live in excess because we don't know if and when this is going to be taken away. And so we've got to be happy and find happiness in the things that we have and, and accumulate as much as we can. And we've got to live in the moment. 
That's when we're living counterfeit fruit. That's when we're living the fruit of self and not the fruit of the spirit. This world is not our home. And if you're going to live for Jesus, there will, there will be moments that you feel attacked. You're going to do what's right and you're going to feel attacked. You're going to be living for Jesus and you're going to feel like the world is out for you. But I want you to take heart that the world and people treated Jesus the exact same way. And that's an indicator that you're doing what's right, that you're headed in the right direction, that you're on the right team when you're being persecuted and when you're feeling attacked. And that's the moment when you can share the difference that Jesus has made in your life. As you're attacked, as you're compromised, as you're feeling like the world is out for you, that's the moment that you get to display the fruit of the Spirit. That's the moment that no matter what happens to you, you get to respond with love. No matter what happens to you, you get to respond with joy. No matter what happens to you, you get to respond with patience and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And you get to respond with who Jesus has changed you into. You get to show the world, this is who I am now. I'm an alien. I'm an adopted son or daughter. I'm changed I have a different DNA, a different name. I'm anchored in my relationship with God and you can attack me and you can persecute me, but I know that those things can't change my identity and can't change who I am. When you're living for Jesus, you can expect things to go wrong, but know that that's when your real ministry and your real evangelism to point people to Jesus begins. Let's pray together. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for his finished work on the cross. Thank you that he gave his life for us. Thank you that we can be found in him. Lord, as we live in this world, we will feel attacked. We will feel persecuted. We will feel compromised. We will feel like nothing is is worth it. And yet, Lord, we know that we are living for you. We are living beyond this world. So God, help us to live with that mindset when the world cheats, when the world talks bad about us, when the world attacks our relationships and our marriage and our family and our financial well-being, Lord, help us to respond as as you did. Help us to respond with the fruit of the Spirit as you enable us to live and to walk and to be on mission. God, I'm sure today that some of us are convicted about the way that we have lived. We're convicted about some of the ways that we have responded and the ways that we've let the, the world shake us. When we get shaken, Lord, it shows the things that we've made into idols. God, if losing our money shakes us, then we've, we've let our money distract us. And if, if our career upsets us, it's because our career might mean more than our relationship with you. Lord, even things that are good, like our family and our friends and our well-being, Lord, can distract us and can shake us and can take our attention off of you. And so help us to know the things that distract us are the things that we need to We need to put in perspective and we need to elevate you above all of those things as we live for you and as we live on mission for you. God, speak to us today as we continue to worship. Show us the ways that we can respond to the world and respond to persecution with the goodness and the fruit of the spirit and the ways that you've changed us. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.